0: How many of you love TV commercials? Okay, you're like me. Whoever invented DVRing of a program so that you can buzz through commercials is brilliant. I mean, I wish I would have thought of some of those things where you can just slow it all down, do whatever you want, and then come back through and buzz through all commercials. Most shows would take 20 to 22 minutes, most movies about an hour and a half, and you get to bypass all that stuff. And then every once in a while, they throw in that tearjerker from Folgers of somebody coming home for Christmas, and you want, okay, i got to watch that one. But most of them, to be honest with you, I buzz right through, especially all those medical commercials, because you want, I don't want all those side effects, I already have the disease. I don't want all that other stuff that goes with it. And then every once in a while you got one, you just could see over and over and over again. This one here is one of my favorites. Let's talk about Haribo Gold Bears. Aloha. I can't stop eating this orange one. (laughs) red. It's more good to me because it tastes like berries. It has this juicy flavor to it. They're really squishy. My berries, I like doing cartwheels and backflips and stuff. And then they're going to fly it into my mouth. <laughs> you gotta admit, that's a good one, right? How many of you who are executive directors have board meetings like that? <laughs> they may not take Talk like that, but every once in a while, some of them act like that. No, I don't know any of you. All right, I'm gonna ask you a crazy question. Did you ever wonder what would happen if babies could talk immediately? Do you ever wonder what they would say? I mean, nine months of darkness, and then all of a sudden, whoa. I mean, do you ever wonder about like, is it only me that wonders the crazy things? I mean, nine months of darkness and all of a sudden, wow. And you got to believe there's a couple of different responses, probably a dozen different responses, but you got to believe that some of them would say, wow, this is amazing. I get to live here. I get to live with them. I get to be a part of this family, this place. And then I also got to believe that every once in a while, one of them would say, this is where I'm born? This is where I'm going to live? Because you and I who have had the opportunity to be around the world know that it's not always as pleasant for some to be born in the environment in which they're in. And so i got to believe for as many that would say, wow, this is incredible, others would say, this is where I'm going to live? This is where I was born? Now, you know as well as I do, not a one of us have a choice as to when we're born, to whom we're born, but we have all kinds of choices as to where we spend the next life. We have absolutely no choice at all as to when we are born in this life and where we're going to be and where we're going to stay and where we're going to live, but we have all kinds of choices as to where we're going to spend the next life. Or close our eyes in death. And then all of a sudden, it open them up. Whether it's a second or a minute, I'm not really sure. Haven't died yet, but we're going to close our eyes in death. And you're going to wake up. You're going to open your eyes. And you're going to have one or two responses. Wow. This is incredible. Unbelievable, God. Then he, he couldn't even come close to describing what this is like. This is incredible. And some are going to open their eyes and say, wow, why didn't somebody tell me this? Why didn't somebody tell me it was going to be like this? I had no idea it was going to be this bad. Two choices, two places. One's heaven, the other one's hell. If you've ever wondered, when is all this evil that we talked about last Sunday morning, evil around the world, destruction and death and hatred, and the list is endless. If you've ever wondered, when is this ever going to stop? There's going to come a day when God finally says, enough. Now, for a lot of people, that's good news. Because you know, judgment is coming. And for some people, it's bad news. Because judgment is coming. Revelation chapter 14 to 19 opens for us in your sermon notes. Next to the last chapter of God's final plan for evil and rebellion against him. These chapters are reminders that history has an author. The author is God. And God has a plan for how it's all going to come about. These chapters are very clear reminders That history has an author, the author is God, and God has a very clear plan as to how this is all going to come about. These chapters remind us that God is not only in charge of today, He is in charge of the future of all humanity. So today and next Sunday, we're going to wrap up for this specific period of time our study of the book of Revelation. Next Sunday morning, we're going to spend time talking about preparation for and the experience of the Mary's Supper of the Lamb. A number of years ago, the elders gave me an opportunity every seven years to take seven weeks off. Seven's a biblical number, so I chose seven. We all work together with it. So that every seven years, I'm able to take a a break from everything. You need a break from my voice anyhow. And I get to take a break to renew, re-energize, recharge my batteries, and then come back again. I qualified for it last year, but I wanted to wait till this year so that I could do it on the celebration. Remember the trifecta year? 40 years of ministry, 45 years of marriage, 65 years old. 65 years old anyhow it all comes this year so i thought i'm going to do it this year so you get the thrill of three other great voices that are going to share a fascinating study that you don't want to miss starting july 8th this morning and next sunday morning we're going to pull this together in two fascinating sections of scripture first from revelation 14 next sunday chapter 19 then i look the author is john he's sitting on an island outside of greece somewhere He doesn't know whether he's ever going to see his family or friends be involved in ministry in any way at all. And God, in his unbelievably unique and powerful way, has him get a glimpse of the future. And so John writes, and he's also describing things in terms that you and I probably can't connect with, we don't quite understand. said to you last Sunday morning, it doesn't go like this to this. It doesn't even go like this. It kind of looks at one event through another event to another event and back again through those events, and you'll see that here. And he gives us a, a glimpse of the future in very vivid and powerful phrases. There are dozens of sections of Scripture that I could use to talk about the difference between heaven and hell, but because of our study, I want to do this one. So then I looked, and there before me was a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him one hundred and forty-four thousand had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of rushing waters, like the loud peal of thunder. Then I heard what was like that of harpers playing a harp. So when you hear people talk about playing a harp in heaven, that's where they get that phrase. They sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 had been redeemed from the earth. These are those who didn't defile themselves with women, for they remained virgins. They followed the Lamb wherever He goes. They were purchased from among mankind and offered as first fruits to God and to the Lamb. No lie was found in their mouth. They're blameless. Then I saw another angel flying into midair. He had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory, because the hour of His judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, and the sea, and the springs of water. The second angel followed and said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which has made all nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. The third angel followed them and said with a loud voice, If anyone worships a beast and its image and receives its mark on their foreheads or their hand, they too will drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been poured out in full strength into the cup of his wrath. They'll be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of holy angels and the Lamb of God. The smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There'll be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast in its image, for anyone who receives the mark of his name. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. Then I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Remember that now on, it goes this way. Yes, says the Spirit, I do. They will rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. Now, that's a pretty heavy section of Scripture, obviously. One of the unique things about what we do here, specifically the decision that I made a number of years ago to walk through a a major section of Scripture from beginning to end, is it keeps us from doing one of two things. One is for pastors just to choose their favorite topic and hope they find a verse that goes with it. Second is to keep us from avoiding things we'd rather not discuss on a Sunday morning. When you go through a section of Scripture from beginning to end, you can't just pick your favorite topic, and you've got to deal with some tough issues. And this is one of them in this section of Scripture. Someone has said, without really knowing it, the first five minutes of your life are the most revealing five minutes of your life. The first few moments of your next life will be the most unbelievable And revealing. I don't know if you've ever imagined going to a place you've never been before and then all of a sudden you got a chance to discover it and found that when you did it was even more amazing than what you thought it would be. My first experience in seeing the Rocky Mountains of Colorado was in 1980 when Connie and I had the opportunity to take three busfuls of students that are in high school to a Christian and Missionary Alliance conference called Life Investment Conference. Now, I was a little western Pennsylvania boy who hadn't seen much of the world. And so when I heard about the Colorado Rockies, I thought, I can't wait to get there. So we get on a bus, and we travel for 33 hours, almost nonstop till get there, listening to Beach Boy CDs. No, wait a minute. They were cassettes. No, no, they were 8-tracks. <laughs> That's how old I am. 8-track tapes of the Beach Boys for 30 out of the 33 hours. You get to Nebraska and, and some of those other places in Kansas, and you're thinking, man, this is, I love Pennsylvania. I don't know why anybody would move out here. Not really that great, not really that pretty. You keep going through all the cornfields, one kid said to me. If I see another cornfield, I said, dude, you're in Nebraska. They're the corn huskers. We kept going, and all of a sudden we get, there's the border of Colorado. We go in, and I'm thinking, this is it? Seriously? You get to Denver, and you think, this is really Disappointing. It's not what I pictured at all. And then all of a sudden, we start climbing his path that takes us up into Estes Park. And literally, outside of my relationship with Jesus and meeting that woman right there, it took my breath away. Like nothing I'd ever seen before. It was incredible. Every single day was like waking up to a postcard. More than I ever thought it would be. Beauty was amazing. And when I began to think about that, I thought, God, no wonder at the end of every day you said, this is really good. At the end of every day of creation, God would say, this is really good. And God, now at this stage of my life, and I get to see some of these things, I would agree with you, this is incredible. Was Maxie is a missionary friend of ours. Been a missionary in Indonesia all of his life. Second generation missionary. His families are missionaries. They've been there forever. A number of years ago, he was here, and he had the opportunity after the major tsunami that just wiped out so much of Indonesia, made up of thousands of islands, hundreds of different people. He said, I flew in with Samaritan's Purse and Operation Blessing in a helicopter, and I looked down, and I, all I saw was death and destruction. He said, no matter how much anybody told me in an email of what I was going to see, it paled in comparison to what I saw of the destruction of that tsunami. And then the helicopter landed and I looked around and all of a sudden I kept saying again, this is worse than I imagined. After everything I just said and described about the beauty and glory of Colorado and the devastation of Indonesia, both pale in comparison to what God is trying to describe through the Apostle John in Revelation 14 of the difference between heaven and heaven in hell. In your sermon notes, I remind you that we speak and teach from a biblical worldview. I listed some of them for you in, in your sermon notes last Sunday morning. There is a God. There is an enemy. Jesus Christ is the only way. The only way to get to heaven is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He literally came to this earth, died on a cross, rose from the dead, ascended to God's glory, and offers us life forever. One of the things in that biblical worldview is that we're absolutely certain that there is a literal heaven and a literal hell. Now, there are a lot of books. Heaven is real. There's other books that say hell is not. We believe beyond a shadow of a doubt, as much as we believe in Almighty God, Jesus who died on the cross, the cross, the resurrection, we believe there is a literal heaven and a literal hell. Both clearly described all of the scripture and we believe that as powerfully as we believe in those other things about who god is who christ is what he does for us and what he offers us in revelation chapter 12 and 13 there are those who essentially say in those two chapters i don't need god i can do this on my own i can get along by myself they're gonna get what they want because they will forever by rejecting god be by them I've heard many people down through the ages and one lady even said to me after the first service people who said who reject the claims of Christ I don't need Jesus I know I'm going to hell when I die doesn't matter I'm going to be there with my friends. I just want to remind you as clearly as I know how and it may not be for any of you in the room maybe for a friend of yours it is not going to be Miller time and a party it is going to be destruction Conscious torment and misery every hour of every day forever. These 13 verses reveal two aspects of life. One incredible joy, the other utter darkness. First one, those who see God and see the Lamb face to face are going to be blown away. I've been saying that for the last few weeks. He says, right, blessed are the dead who die from now on. They're going to rest from their labor. Their deeds will follow them. Psalm 16 says, Blessed in the sight of the Lord of the death of his saints. God is not morbid when he says that. God is simply saying, I can't wait to see you. You're my child. We just sang it in a couple. I'm a child of God. I'm a daughter of the living God. I'm a son of the living God. And the God of the universe who created me and made me and formed me and shaped me and put me where I am and made me who I am. Gets to see me face to face. And I get to see him. And God says, I just, I just want you to know, I can't wait to see you. That's what he's saying. That's the love that God has for us. Those of you who have children that are far away, they've moved or relocated or whatever, and then every so often you get to see them, maybe for a family reunion. We've got one coming up in our family reunion on the 4th of July down at the family farm. And only time of year you get to see some of the relatives. Now, some are saying, good, that's the only time of the year I get to see my relatives. I get that. For others, I get to see my relatives. Can you Imagine what it is. I get to see my kids. I miss mine. I get to see my kids. And you get to see God. That's why heaven is such an incredible choice, not just to get out of this earth and get through the misery, not just to know that I can find it all and get rid of it, all my past and all that kind of stuff. I get to know that when I leave this world and I close my eyes in death, I get to see God. And that's why sections of Scripture like this are so incredible. The first one that you and I get to see is God. And we get to see the Lamb. We get to see Jesus. We get to look at His hands and look at His side like Thomas did. We've been talking about it for 2,000 years. And we get to see Him face to face. And He gets to see us. Revelation 14, when it says there'll be 144,000, I honestly believe that it's symbolic to those who are redeemed. It's not about numbers. I don't honestly think, I I don't think it's about numbers or a specific number. I believe that it represents all the redeemed from the Old and New Testament. Remember chapter 7? He says, you're going to look around and there'll be more than you can count. He said that more often than anything else. More than you can count from every tribe and every language and every nation. Mount Zion, in the first few verses there, (coughs) in the Old Testament, usually refer to Jerusalem. The city of David, and then he describes the future in Hebrews 12. He said, you haven't come to a mountain that you can touch. You've come to Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. you come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, the church of the firstborn. (laughs) That'd be a good name for a church, wouldn't it? We're the church of the firstborn. Church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven, you come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of the righteous men made perfect to, the, to Jesus, the mediator of the New covenant. When David was leading the people of Israel, they lost on a number of occasions, the Ark of the Covenant that represented the presence of Almighty God. And it was the rod of Aaron and the manna, a little bit a number of things, and obviously they've been looking at it, looking for it forever. When David was bringing it in after recovering it another time to the city of Jerusalem, man, it was almost like the closer he got to Jerusalem, the more excited he got. For those of us who know Jesus as our Savior, the closest we get to heaven, the more excited we ought to get. And the older we get, my dad keeps saying, I'm going to live to 100. I'm going, it's not a contest. I have zero desire to live to 100. I have no desire to live to 90. I'm hoping we get another 25, 30 years together. I love that. But I have no idea, no desire to live on this earth as long as I possibly can. I know what's on the other side. And the closer I get in my 80s or 90s, it's not, oh, God, heal me so I can stay here. It's, oh, God, take me home. I get to see you face to face. The closer we get, the more excited. It's interesting also in the first verse it says, We'll be able to recognize everybody by the marks on our forehead. I honestly believe. Somebody's going to correct me because I usually get it once a week for something. Somebody's, I honestly don't believe. I don't really. I'm kidding. I don't believe that we're going to get to heaven and say, oh, wait a minute. Oh, there it is. I Lift up your hair so I can see. Oh, yeah, yeah you have it. I honestly do not believe when we get to heaven, we're going to look around and see who has the mark and who doesn't. I believe it's figurative of this. When you give your life to Christ, when you give your life to Jesus, you receive him as Savior, Scripture clearly tells us over and over again that you are markedly different. You can tell which ones are mine. He says it over and over again. You can tell which ones are mine. Watch them. You can tell by their love. You can tell by their grace. You can tell by their attitude. You can tell by their conviction. You know which ones are mine. You are marked by an allegiance to Christ and it affects your thinking and your attitude. You can tell in this life who loves Jesus and who doesn't, who follows Christ and who doesn't. You don't have to have a mark on your head to tell you that. You can just tell. You know which ones are His. He knows it as well. I don't think it has anything to do with a mark literal on our head. I think it has everything to do that when we receive Christ as our Savior, we are markedly different. It's evident. And those are the ones He's taken with us. In verse 4, one of the most unusual verses. He is not saying the only ones that get to heaven are celibate monks and nuns. It's a reference to an Old Testament principle of complete allegiance to God and any unfaithfulness to Him is considered adultery. It'll make more sense next Sunday. So you've got to be here next Sunday as we culminate this in chapter 19. Verse 5. Talks about our blameless walk. What you need to know, the only way to appear blameless... Before God is that he looks at you and I through the cross of Christ. No matter how many times you put on Daddy's Little Angel on a t-shirt, they're not. You all know that. You have to teach them how to be good. They already know how to be bad. And some of them seem like they have master's degree by three. (laughs) You and I are not perfect at all. But when we receive Christ as our Savior, he washes our sins away And now when he sees us, he doesn't see us through all those imperfections and all those stupid decisions and all those bad things we've done. He sees us, he looks at us through the cross of Christ and the forgiveness that we've received from Jesus. And so he sees us through him. He sees us as blameless before him. Not because of what we've done, not because we deserve it, not because we're great people, not because we go to community alliance, we got to get in first. It's because of the blood of Christ. Ephesians, they're in your sermon notes. He chose us in him before the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. First Corinthians, he'll keep you strong to the end so that you'll be blameless on the day of Jesus. Because of Christ, and when you receive him as Savior, it's washed away. That's incredible. I mean, that's incredible. I've often wondered, who wouldn't want that? I know there are people who reject rejected, but who wouldn't want that? I can have my past washed away. You can come to God and say, God, I am so sorry, and then list and name what it was. And five minutes later, hey, God, remember that thing we talked about? He'd say, nope. You really don't? I do. Well, that's your problem. I don't. Because I cast it as far away as the east or from the west, never to remember it any longer. So why are you carrying it around? Which is a great question that God ought to ask. These verses describe the destiny of those who believe in Christ as their Savior, and that destiny is heaven. These verses also reveal another aspect of life. For those who reject Jesus, who fail to commit their lives to Him, there's another destiny. It's in chapter 14, verse 11, and the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. No rest day or night for those who worship the beast in His image, for anyone who receives the mark of His name. Hell is not going to be a party. It'll be misery forever. No rest, day or life. You may feel like this life is full of heartache and misery. You haven't seen anything yet. Hell is worse than anyone can ever imagine. But no one, no one on this planet needs to go there because for 2,000 years, Jesus has been saying, come. Anybody who's weary, anybody who's weary and carrying around a lot of stuff, man, come to me. I'll give you rest for your soul, not just for your body, but for your soul. And so for the last 2,000 years, he's been saying it over and over and over again. Deuteronomy 30, it's in your sermon notes this morning, one of the most powerful phrases in all of Scripture when God just simply says this, I set before you two options, life and death. I beg you, choose life. Bree, you do that all the time in your ministry, right? I beg you, sweetheart, choose life. God, for the last thousands of years, that was written way before Jesus even came. Here's two choices. I, just, I should have had another title. It's not multiple choice. Two choices, life or death. I'm begging you, God says, choose life. Please choose life. God has been offering it down through the ages forever. Jesus is the only way to heaven. He is the only way out of hell. There's no other way. It's not our effort, not our striving, not being a good person, not going to church, not giving your money, but through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, accepting Him as Savior. God sends no one to hell. They make a decision to choose that because for thousands of years He's been saying, Don't choose that. Choose this. So for those who say, how could a loving God send anybody to hell? He doesn't. You choose that route when he's been offering you life forever. Why would you do that? Jesus has been saying, come to me, I'll give you everything your soul is looking for. It is in your sermon, the most important decision you'll ever make. Many have said that In the Old Testament, you see a God of justice, the New Testament a God of mercy. I honestly think you see all sides of God all the way through Scripture. He's always been a God of mercy, but He's also a God of judgment. And He will not continue to tolerate the wickedness of humanity. He has a final plan. He gives descriptions and pieces of that in chapter 14, 15, 16. He's got a plan. But He's always been a God of mercy and always a God of judgment, and we can't ignore either. One of the reasons we sing on Sunday morning is to celebrate the goodness of God. It's not because we need musicians for something to do and so you don't have to listen to me for 60 minutes. We get to gather together every single Sunday morning and celebrate the goodness of God. We can celebrate the redemption that we've had in Jesus. We get reminded every single week of what we have in Christ, what the options are and how thrilling it is that we've chosen life and we've chosen Jesus. One of the saddest things in this large section of Scripture is even in the midst of the pouring out of God's wrath, men still refuse to submit. In chapter 16, you'll notice, but they refuse to repent of what they have done. I don't know if you've ever seen a lot of those police shows where they arrest someone. There's a half a dozen of them on TV following people all over the place. I've watched a few of them every once in a while, and I don't remember a single one of them where they arrested someone put the handcuffs on him, and the person looked to that police officer and said, thank you so much. I am such a bad person. I really appreciate the fact that you're arresting me and taking me to prison. I am really a bad person. Now, maybe somebody has done that. Normally, they blame the police officer for what they have done. They blame their mother. They blame their father. They blame somebody, never taking responsibility for their sin. You and I need to clearly understand Our destiny has been determined by the choices we make, the decisions we made, because God has been offering us life and hope and forgiveness and grace forever. And when you receive that, you receive life. One very important question is answered in this section of Scripture, and I want to make sure I point it out in your notes. I'm not sure even if I've stayed with all the blanks. Um, Destiny of all those who believe in Christ is heaven, you've got that. How will God judge humanity? That's, that's been the question I've heard forever. What about those who've never heard? What, uh, that question is answered here. He will, in your notes, judge rightly. He will judge rightly. He will look at your life, my life, wherever it's been, whatever, wherever we come from, He will judge rightly. Very clearly stated all the way through Scripture. Your kids have been telling you forever life isn't fair, Right? But God is fair, and God will judge rightly and fair. There are a couple of responses to this section of Scripture that you you, you have to hear, you can't ignore. One is in Peter when it says, Now, in light of what you now know, the judgment is coming. What kind of person ought you to be? You know it's coming. You have a decision to make how you're going to live your life. We'll describe that even more next Sunday morning. The other response to this is this story that maybe I'm sure you've heard before somewhere along the way, an illustration that many pastors have used down through the ages of a man who was convicted by the name of Charles Peace, who lived anything else but peace. He was finally caught, condemned, being led to the execution. They woke up a sleepy chaplain in the prison who began to read things to him out of rote with very little meaning as he was headed toward this final moment. Peace looked over at him and said, what are you reading? And he said, the consolation of religion. He said, do you believe what you're reading? I think so, the priest said. I'm about to die. Condemned for what I have done to a hell that I deserve. And you're reading this as if you're reading a story that you don't care anything about. If what you say is true, that there is a heaven and there is a hell, I would crawl across England on broken glass and count it all worthwhile if I could save one single person from what I'm about to face. Every one of us have people, friends, family members who you already know the decisions they've made about their eternal destiny. And when you and I are reminded, as well as I am, of a section of Scripture like this, number one, it makes me want to live a life that when I see Him, I won't be ashamed. And secondly, it says to me, I can't ignore the truth that I know. And I want to live a life and do everything I can to make sure that my friend, my relative, my loved one doesn't go out into a godless eternity when I have the answer to their soul. It's got to be a response that we have to make when we read a section of Scripture like this. Let's pray. Father, you sometimes pull us into so heavy of a section of Scripture that we don't even know if we can fully do it justice when it's so powerful. But Lord, I thank you for your honesty and your grace. I thank you for your mercy, and I also thank you that you are a God who judges justly and rightly. I do ask in the name of Jesus that every single one of us here this morning who know you as Savior will look forward to that day with eyes wide open knowing it will be incredible. And that you help us to do everything we can to help those that we know who do not know you to find you before they leave this world into a priceless eternity. Not because you haven't offered it, but because they haven't received it. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, today is the day. You cannot leave this place without making sure of that. I'd love for you to come up here and talk to me afterwards. But without raising your hands, I've got to believe that all over this audience are people that we know, family, friends, that we know that do not know Jesus. And as painful and as difficult as it is, we know their destiny. So take a, a few seconds to pray that God will give you an opportunity, grace, and an open door. Pray for that individual, and then we'll close. Thank you for your attention. I apologize when I keep you over time. I don't apologize for the heaviness of the message at all because it's the truth of the Word of God. I hope you have an incredible day. If I can pray for you in any way. Love to do that. See you next Sunday. Don't want to miss it.